off on the wrong foot this morning because I had to sit on this side. I'm used to sitting on that side. And wouldn't you know, the screen's not going to work for me this morning. Yep, see, nothing. Is it hot in here to you? Is anybody hot? Anybody cold? Have you seen the gas prices recently? Over $4? Are you kidding me? This morning's sermon, if you didn't figure it out, the cure for complaining. I had a lot more to do, but I just couldn't do it. I've been nervous about that. I'm sorry. To our visitors, I'm sorry. That's your first impression of me. But I wanted to grab your attention. I just said you have 20 seconds to get your audience's attention, so hopefully that worked. The cure for complaining. When you look at that grumpy old cat right there, I give Brittany credit. I was looking for a perfect image. She said, this is it. That's probably what I look like coming across that way. But you know what, brethren? This is something that we all do. We talk all the time about being in the United States of America and the blessings that we have. The song that we just sang, count your many blessings. And yet so many times we fail to do that, don't we? We complain about every little thing. And I know that this is a moving sermon. What I mean by that is either you're going to be moved or I'm going to be moving today. But I'm hoping and praying that through this study we can have a better perspective. That we can have a better appreciation for what God has done for us. Because the truth of the matter is, if we complain, what does that look like to the world? We're Christians. We live the abundant life, John 10.10. We enjoy all spiritual blessings because they're found in Christ, Ephesians 1.3. And when we obey the gospel to get into Christ, Galatians 3.27, we came in contact with all of that. And yet, sometimes as Christians, we complain about the gas prices or the weather or technology. When we think about complaining, we want to begin by simply defining it. And Merriam-Webster says to complain is basically to express discontent. To express it. To make an accusation or to make a charge. We talk about maybe offering a formal complaint. Can you believe our boss made us stay over five minutes today? You're kidding. We got three ball games this week. We got something. We got three things going on at the same time tomorrow night. Really? Here are three general truths about complaining. Number one, it's something we all do. If you sit there and say, I'd never complain, then maybe this sermon is for you. It's something we all do, but number two, it's something that God detests. And the word detest simply means borderline hated. God cannot stand complaining. When you think of the way that God has blessed us, and you have that perspective, hopefully that's something that helps us. Think of what He's done for us. And yet, how must it sound to God when we as His people complain about the gas prices? But number three, complaining is something that will destroy our influence for good. If my light is not shining, if I'm not reflecting the love and the light of Christ to the world, what incentive will they have to get out of the world and get into Christ? You see, my influence for God needs to be strong. 
And if I'm constantly complaining and my head is down and everybody knows me as a constant complainer, that person, he never says anything positive. He's a drain, not a fountain. He's a destroyer, not a builder. I need to check myself if that's me. I need to be more positive. I need to be more Christ-like. And if I'm a constant complainer, I need to look in the mirror and say, do I really need to be complaining considering all that God has done for me? As we think about complaining and what the Bible says about complaining, we're going to first notice some biblical examples. Then number two, we're going to look at a biblical exhortation as to how we can find the cure for complaining. We begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, I hope and trust that you do. I want to invite you there with me. We know that the Old Testament is written for our learning, Romans 15, 4. That all scripture is inspired of God, which includes the Old Testament. 2 Timothy 3.16, Psalm 119.160. Therefore, when we go to the Old Testament, we're reading God's truth. And we can learn a lot of lessons of how it applies to us today as New Testament Christians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, if you have a heading in your Bible like mine, it says Old Testament examples. That's all it says. Paul is about to list several Old Testament examples that we can learn much from. Begin with me there. Verse 1, 1 Corinthians 10. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the sea, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. They drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. In other words, they had it made. You couldn't get it any better then God's people had it. But look at verse 5. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Why was God not pleased with them? Let's continue on. Verse 6. These things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things. Verse 7. That we should not become idolaters. Verse 8. That we should not commit sexual immorality. Verse 9. That we should not Tempt Christ as some of them also tempted it. And look at verse 10. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Verse 11 says, Now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Those examples that were recorded really are for us. These are examples of what not to do. So we're going to walk through some of these examples together of what God's people complained about. And I want you to ask yourself, do I ever do the same thing? You see, when we study this and we look at God's people, we say, how could they possibly complain? Look what God did for them. Look what God gave them. And brethren, look what God's given us. And yet, we feel we still find time to complain. The first example is found in Exodus chapter 15, if you'd like to go there with me. We're going to look at one example from the book of Exodus, and several others are going to be from the book of Numbers. In Exodus chapter 15, and keep this in its context, and remember that chapter 14 is when you read, The Lord will fight for you, shall hold your peace. Moses takes the rod, parts the Red Sea. God's people go through the Red Sea. They have been in Egyptian bondage for all these years. They've been slaves. 
Now they've been set free. Surely they're going to be thankful. Surely they can't wait to sing praises and songs to God and, and wake up every day so grateful. Exodus 15, beginning in verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. They went out into the wilderness of Shur, and when they went three days in the wilderness, found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained. First time you find the word complain in the, in the Bible. They complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So the Lord showed him a tree. He cast it into the waters. The waters were made sweet. He made a statute and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them. We'll see how they react now. Well, how do you think they're going to react? How do you think they're going to respond? Move on into chapter 16 with me. They journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation, not just a few, the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained. Complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. What did they complain about? Verse 3. The children of Israel said, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. We sat by the pots of meat. We ate bread to the full. For you've brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. We learned very quickly that God's people complained about thirst. But then when they got something to drink, they complained about hunger. In the next place, notice they complained about what God tried to give them to eat. We're thirsty, okay? Here's something to drink. Great, but now we're hungry. Oh, you gave me something, but I don't, I don't want that. I got any kids like that at home? Now, Jackson's not a picky eater. But the girls, man, it depends on the day, but most of the time they're pretty picky. Henley's our snacker. So in Numbers chapter 11, look at the heading in your Bible. Maybe it's similar to mine. The people complain. That's all it says. The people complain. Look at verse 1. Now when the people complained, what did it do to God? It displeased the Lord. For the Lord heard it, and His anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. You know, if I were to see that, I think I'd stop complaining. But that's not what happens. Verse 2, the people cried out to Moses. When Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. Verse 4, the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish we ate freely in Egypt. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now, our whole being is dried up. There's nothing at all except this, this manna. This manna. What even is manna? You know what the definition of manna is? What is it? That's the definition of the word manna. What is it? And that's what these people are saying. What even is this? What is this manna? Verse 7. Here's a description. Manna was like coriander seed. It's color like the color of bedellum. The people went about and gathered it, ground on milestones, or beat it in the mortar, cooked it in pans, made cakes. Its taste was like the taste of pastry. Prepared with oil. And the dew fell on the camp in the night. The manna fell on it. So you know what manna was? It was a honey glazed donut, basically. 
And what are they complaining about? We'd rather have onions than donuts. Brethren, I've never said that before in my life. And yet, that's what they're saying. Verse 10, when Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, everyone at the door, everybody's complaining, the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. Who's going to give us something to eat? We remember how good we had it before, and now all we have is this. Drop down women to verse 31. Here's how God responds to it. Now a wind went out from the Lord and brought quail from the sea, left them fluttering near the camp about a day's journey on this side, about a day's journey on the other. The people stayed up all that day, all night, all the next day, gathered the quail. He who gathered least gathered ten omers, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. Verse 33, But while the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. Was God pleased with their attitudes? Now ask yourself, as God's child, is God pleased with my attitude? Or am I a constant complainer? Am I bringing people down? Or am I helping to bring them up? God was not pleased with their intense complaining. They complained about their thirst and their hunger. They complained about the food that God gave them, these honey-glazed donuts from heaven. But then they complained about the land of Canaan. Now keep in mind, they had been in Egypt for all these years in slavery. And now God says, I'm going to prepare this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. In Numbers chapter 13, as you open up to that, the Lord spoke to Moses, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving the children of Israel from each tribe of their fathers. Send a man. Everyone a leader. So you've got 12 tribes. You have a leader from each tribe. And guess what? If I were to ask you this morning, give me all 12 names, could you do it? I think some of you could, but I can almost guarantee everybody here can give me at least two. Joshua and Caleb. Why do we remember Joshua and Caleb? We remember them as great leaders, don't we? Not complainers. Not saying, look at the giants in the land. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. This is not the kind of land that we want. Caleb stilled the people and said, what are we doing? Let's rise up and go possess it at once, for the Lord is with us. That was not their mentality, though. When you get into chapter 14, verse 1, So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained. They complained against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said, if only we had died in the land of Egypt. They had been released from bondage. And they complained about what God had in store for them. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we've been released from the bondage of sin. Do we still complain? They complain about being hungry. They complain about being thirsty. They complain about the food that comes. They complain about the land that they're going to go into. And then they complain about the leadership. Numbers chapter 16. I mentioned this morning that when you're not in a leadership position, it is easy to be critical of those who are. But when you step into that leadership role, you automatically understand 
there's a lot more to this than I thought before. In Numbers chapter 16, we have some complaining. We have some complaining against God's people, against the leaders that God had put in store. If you look at verse 1 with me as we begin this, we learn about Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And we learn basically that these men didn't like what Moses and Aaron were doing as leaders. So they rose up, verse 2, before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, men of renown. Let's take the, the best of the best and let's go. Verse 3, they gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them. The Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? What makes you think that you're fit for this leadership position? You know, we could do a much better job than y'all are doing. Again, do we ever hear that complaint in the world today? Well, if I was in that position, I'd do a much better job. That's what the children of Israel did. Moses said, okay, well, let's put it to the test. Because I'm doing this to please my God. Let's let God make the decision. Remember what happened without reading all of this. They come out and, and they, they're upset about this land. They said, you were supposed to take us into a land flowing with milk and honey, but you're going to just kill us in the wilderness. You're not leading us at all. We would do a better job. God says, get away from the tent. Get away from Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Get away from those complainers because of what he's about to do to them. Verse 31, it came to pass, as he finished speaking all these words, that the ground split apart under them, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, and their households with all the men of Korah, with all their goods. Verse 35, a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. Verse 49, those who died in the plague were 14,700 beside those who died in the Korah incident. The people complained. And we see from these Old Testament examples how God felt about their complaining. Was He pleased with it? Look at the action that God took. Now let's ask ourselves, what if the moment that I complained, God treated me this way? Aren't we thankful that God doesn't do that? I know I am. I know I am. But what lessons can we learn from these Old Testament examples? With that, we go into the New Testament. We've looked at biblical examples. Let's close by thinking about a biblical exhortation. How can I look at these examples and look within my own life and say, I want to be better. I don't want to complain like that. I want to be who God wants me to be. Here's how you do it. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Keep in mind the context of Philippians chapter 2. It's about humility. It's about unity. It's about serving other people. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2.5 Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interest, but for the interest of others. How much better would we be if that was our mentality? 
Instead of it's all about me and this is not the way that I want it. Instead of what's best for my brother? What's best for my sister? How can I help them get to heaven? That needs to be my mentality. And so within that context, Paul says this, do all things without complaining. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Why? That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault. Listen to him. In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you, Christians, shine as lights in the world. Do we still live in a perverse, wicked generation? Do we live in a day of age of complaining, bitterness, disgust? In the world of social media, do we not see it all the time? Christians, we've got to be better than that. We've got to be different than what we see in the world. Because we are to shine as lights in this world of darkness. But if I'm complaining, and if I'm bitter, and if I never have a positive thing to say, how in the world can I reflect the light of Jesus? Do all things without complaining and disputing. The ESV says do all things without grumbling. The NIV says without arguing. The word disputing, Thayer says, intellectual rebellion against God. I rebel against God when I walk around all the time disputing. Look at the contrast between complaining and disputing. That you may become blameless and harmless. Blameless, innocent, harmless, pure. Children of God without fault. Yes, even in the midst of this generation. The word shine there means to beam brightly as the sun. Let me ask you, are you beaming brightly as the sun in the workplace? Are you beaming brightly as the sun in the classroom? Do all things without complaining. So you may shine as lights in the world. Before we look at some application, I want you to think about just for a moment. Who penned those words? Who was it that wrote the book of Philippians? Incidentally, who wrote the book of 1 Corinthians? It was the Apostle Paul. If anybody ever had a, we'll say like a monopoly get out of jail free card, a complaint card, wouldn't it have been Paul? And yet he wrote these words. We've noticed how God detests, God despises complaining, and how God's people throughout the ages of time have complained and how God feels about that. God doesn't change. He still despises complaining. So what can I do? What, what is the cure? God's cure. The biblical cure for complaining. Let me share with you three reasons and the lesson will be yours. Number one, we need to have the proper perspective. We need to have the proper perspective. Do all things without murmuring and complaining. Back to verse 3 and 4 of Philippians chapter 2. If nothing is done through selfish ambition, but if I have a lowly, humble mindset, and I'm always thinking about what can I do for others, that will really help me stop complaining as much about things going on for me. 
when I think about others, I think about those in the Ukraine right now. Could you imagine those Christians in the Ukraine worshiping God this morning? And yet here we are, in this place, able to worship God. And sometimes we'll complain about the AC. I will complain about the pews not being comfortable enough. And they're literally having to assemble to worship with the threat of somebody walking in with a machine gun. Perspective. Perspective will help us. We mentioned the Apostle Paul. When you think about the book of Philippians, when did the church at Philippi begin? What, what passage can we look to to say, here's when the church at Philippi began? It's Acts 16, remember? The Macedonian call, come over and help us. You have Lydia, the seller of purple. She obeys the gospel. But then what happens? You have Paul preaching and there's someone in the audience saying, he's preaching for the Most High God over and over and over again. Paul gets upset with that. He casts the demon out. They throw him in prison. But you know what Paul's doing in prison? When he's in the stocks and it's midnight, he's in the deepest, darkest place of prison. He's not bowing his head and complaining. He's lifting up his head and singing and praising God. And sometimes we come in here and we can't do it. Brethren, if that's you, if that's me, I need to change my perspective. If he can sit there in stocks and pray and sing to God in a deep, dark prison cell, surely I can come in here and praise my God at the top of my lungs. Perspective. The story is told of two women in World War II who were in a German concentration camp. And they were thrown into this disgusting room. And there were flies and there were fleas everywhere. And so one of the women, she looked at her and she said, You know, I'm so thankful today. We need to be thankful always. The other girl said, What are you talking about? Be thankful. Look at where we're at. Look at this horrible room we're in. Look at all the fleas. That woman said, We need to thank God for the fleas. She said, I'm not doing that. I am not thanking God for the fleas. She said, the good book says, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. Of course, that's 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Come to find out, the soldiers who were going in and molesting all these women and beating them and treating them horribly would not go into that room because of the fleas. Come to find out, they were able to bring a Bible in there and read it together. And they weren't harmed while they were there. Sometimes, brethren, we need to thank God for the fleas. We thank God for those things that may, may seem horrible at the moment. But ultimately, if we have that, that mentality, that perspective that, you know what, God is going to work this out for my ultimate good. And regardless of what my circumstance is, He's worthy to be praised. And He's blessed me far greater than I deserve. Proper perspective. Number two, if I want to find the cure for complaining... I need to cultivate in my heart, in my mind, God-honoring gratitude. The psalmist said, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His mercy endures forever. Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving in your heart. Enter into His courts with praise. Why? Because He's always worthy. He's always worthy of the very best we can possibly give. Gratitude. Colossians 3.15 Let the peace of God rule in your hearts and be thankful. Be thankful. 
You know, before he says, sing and teach and admonish one another with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Prior to that, is being thankful. If I'm not thankful, if my gratitude isn't what it ought to be, how am I really going to sing those songs? How am I really going to tell others about Jesus if I'm complaining the whole time? But if I leave this place and I'm just flooded with the gratitude that I ought to have for what God has done for me, how could I hold my head down? How could I talk to somebody about the Lord and not talk about just how great He is and what He's done for me? I need to have the proper perspective. I need to cultivate God-honoring gratitude. Number three and finally, I need to remember that my influence impacts those around me, either for good or for bad. You as a Christian, whether or not you want to admit this, you have an influence on those around you. The question is, is it a positive influence or negative? Am I helping other people see how good God is or am I turning people away from how good God is? This is something that I have to work on as an individual. An impactful influence. In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, I need to shine as lights in the world. Notice going into verse 16, holding fast the word of life. It's the word of God that governs my every step. It's a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Psalm 119, 105. I delight in the precepts, in the word of God. I desire the word of God more than my necessary food, as Job said. And when I read the word of God, and when I meditate upon it, that's going to help me to have a better impact on those around me. David said, I will hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Hide the word of God in your heart. Keep it in the forefront of your mind. And remember that everything I say and do is going to impact those around me. Remember what Jesus said about Christians? You are the salt of the earth. What does salt do? It provides flavor and it preserves. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify God. If the light that I'm, that I'm shining is full of complaining, that's not going to allow me to glorify my God and other people won't be encouraged to do it either. What is God's cure for complaining? Have the proper perspective. Cultivate God-honoring gratitude in everything I say and do. And remember that I have an impactful influence on those around me. It may be the case this morning there's someone here who's not a Christian. And you might say, well, how can you connect this sermon with the invitation of our Lord? My question will be, how could you not? Jesus was wrongfully tried. He did nothing wrong. His own friend betrayed Him. They took Him into the praetorium. They took Him to Caiaphas. They took Him to Annas. took Him before Pilate. And the very people He came to save said, crucify Him, crucify Him. He was beaten. He was scourged. Crown of thorns on his head. He was nailed to a cross. And for six agonizing hours, he suffered for you and me. But you know what he didn't do? He never, ever complained. Jesus died for you. 
So that you could be forgiven. So that you could be set free from bondage. The bondage of sin. So that you could live this life the way that God would have you to live it. And glorify Him. If you're not a Christian, why not obey the gospel today? It all begins by, with, with faith. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing. And hearing the word of God, Romans 10, 17. You then must believe what you hear. Jesus said, if you believe not that I am, you'll die in your sins, John 8, 24. You then must be willing to repent. Repentance is that change of mind that brings about a change of life, a course of action. God commands all men everywhere to repent, Acts 17, 30. Then you must be willing to confess with the mouth, Jesus is the Son of God, Romans 10, 9 and 10, Acts 8, 37. And based on that confession, then you, you can be baptized, immersed in a watery grave, to come in contact with the blood of Christ, to have your sins washed away, Acts 22, 16, Acts 2, 38, to rise and walk in newness of life, Romans 6, 3 through 6. Come out of that water a brand new creature, a thankful creature for what God has done for you. And if we live faithful unto death, we'll receive a crown of life, Revelation 2.10. But it may be this morning that as a Christian, you look within yourself and you say, you know what, I've been too negative. I've been complaining far too much. And because of that, it's hurt my influence for good. I haven't been bringing God the glory. I, I've, been, I've been so negative, and it's really hurt my, my opportunity to help somebody else. We would love to pray with you. We would love to pray for you. This morning, if you say, Preacher, you stepped on my toes, then that means I missed. Because I'm aiming for your heart. I'm aiming for your heart. What changes do you need to make that can make you a better servant for Jesus? If you need to make any changes at all, don't put it off. Once you come right now, together we stand and sing.